welcome to the mm, About That podcast with me, your host, your favorite geek psychologist, your favorite pop culture enthusiast, your favorite queen of the nerds, Dr. Vanessa Hintz. And today, the focus of our discussion will be DC's recent film, Black Adam, released in November of 2022, now streaming on HBO Max. And so hopefully, in the meantime, in between time, you have had a chance to watch this film because we're going to talk about all the things today. And so it goes without saying, though I will say it anyway, spoiler alert, spoilers abound, okay? Before we get to all of that, though, I would be remiss if I did not give a few disclaimers, if I did not contextualize myself in this conversation. And so the first disclaimer I would like to give is that this discussion will primarily be about the Black Adam film. I know that Black Adam exists as a character in comics. I am not as familiar with that as I am with this film. And so I want to acknowledge and uplift the fact that my understanding of Black Adam as a character in comics is minimal. And so please don't come for me, people, if I say something and it's, oh, it's not like that in the comics. Well, I wouldn't know that. And I'm going to say that off top. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I have never in my life read a Black Adam comic. I will, but up until this point and, and as I am in this moment, have never read one. I will also say, disclaimer number two, that I went into watching this film for the first time when I saw it in theaters with literally basement level expectations. Like I had no expectations of being wowed because DC had let me down one too many times. In my opinion, the last really good DC film was The Dark Knight. And that was in what, 2008? I feel like everything since then has been kind of like meh. All right, like that was cool. And we're not even going to talk about what they got going on over there now. Anyways, um, so I literally had zero expectation because I didn't want to be let down yet again. So why, you say, did I pay twice to go see this film in the theaters if I knew or thought or expected it to be horrible? Well, let me tell you why. And this brings us to disclaimer number three. I unabashedly, unashamedly, very proudly have lusted after Dwayne The Rock Johnson since the WWF Attitude Era. I am not ashamed to say that since Know Your Role and Shut Your Mouth, Dwayne, I have been lusting after this man, okay? I am not ashamed to admit that I lovingly refer to him as my second husband because in my mind and in my heart we have been in in a very committed soul tying relationship all of these years my husband knows that i told him i love you i think the only man i might ever consider running off with is Dwayne. if he came to the door right now and said hey let's go no questions asked i would just go so that is 
the context in which I am watching and ultimately evaluating this film. I am here all day, every day for Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his pecs and his traps and his smile and all of these different things. So does that influence affect the way that I evaluate this film? 100%. So I'm asking you all to take what I say with that in mind. So if you're like, ah, I didn't get none of that, just know this is the context from which I'm speaking. So now that we got all that out of the way, let's get down to this business. So the first thing I wanna do is really provide like an overview of not only Black Adam as, as a character, but also of the film. So according to DC's fandom database, Black Adam was an ancient Egyptian slave who received the powers of the wizard Shazam. However, he was imprisoned for millennia by the wizard after he misused his powers and eventually he was freed and resurrected in the modern day. And so, though Black Adam's powers were originally dependent on the wizard Shazam, after his resurrection, he actually gained his powers from six Egyptian deities. In both cases, Black Adam's powers are activated by uttering the magic word Shazam. And so we saw a lot of that present in, in the way that the, the character was portrayed on screen. Uh, not, the, not the Egyptian deity part. We definitely did not see any of that. I would have liked to see that, but we did see this story sort of played out on screen. And so before we get into really talking about the power, for lack of a better word, of some of the messaging inherent in the film, I just want to give a brief overview we're going to walk through this story, what happened in this movie, because let me tell y'all something. At, at certain points, I thought I was going to have to draw a map. I'm like, what is going on? Like, what? what is all, there's all these peoples and reveals and who is this and sons and everything. It was just, it was a lot. Okay. So we're just going to, we're all going to, we're all going to walk through this together. So we have a shared point of departure for this conversation. So I'm going to tell you how I understood the movie and the plot to play out. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what can be gleaned, what knowledge can be gained from this film. And so in Black Adam, we are introduced to the fictional nation of Kandak, where we see about 5,000 years before modern day that the people have been enslaved by King Akton, who is requiring that they mine for an element known as Eternium. He wants this Eternium so that he can make the crown of Sabak, which would essentially give him like full-blown evil villain powers and unleash hell on earth and allow him to be the king, emperor, whatever of hell on earth. So he really is just out here trying to get all the power. We are introduced to an enslaved person who ultimately leads a revolt and it's like, nah, I'm not trying to be, nah. If we all, if all of us enslaved people rise up, they wouldn't be able to stop us. So this champion is out here trying to start a revolution, okay? And this champion is ultimately saved from execution by the Council of Wizards, and he is bestowed great power by these wizards. And so in this sort of prologue scene where we are understand that Kondok had a champion 
that liberated the enslaved people that defeated this evil king and this crown that was constructed from this Eternium has like not been seen since forever ago, right? So fast forward to modern day, Kondok is still not necessarily free as we see that it, ha- it is occupied by an international group of mercenaries known as Intergang. We are introduced to one of the protagonists, Adriana, who is some kind of academic person. I don't really understand. I don't know if she's like a, a researcher, explorer. She's some kind of super academic person. Um, and she is looking for the crown. And per Adriana, she wants to find the crown because it is too powerful for any person to have. She wants to find the crown so she can throw it in the middle of the ocean. She doesn't want it to fall into anybody's hands because that's too much power for any one person. And so... We're introduced to her and her team, which includes her brother. We're also introduced to Adriana's son, Amon. And so they are on this quest to go to the desert to find this crown. And they do. They go to this cave looking thing and they find the crown. Lo and behold, enter, enter gang who are like, yo, you got that crown? Like, give us that. We're looking for that too. Um, and so there is a confrontation. And Adriana, unbeknownst to her, I think at the time, uh, releases Teth Adam, who at this point in the film, Black Adam is Teth Adam, which is his original name. Um, Teth Adam is released, um, and she, Adriana, believes that she has released the champion of Kondok. And so Teth Adam has one of the dopest opening scenes that I have ever seen like his entrance on screen the way he looked the way he then gave all of intergang the business like he literally just destroyed all of them it was visually just amazing again I'm biased because he is visually amazing nonetheless it was super dope and so we see this sequence of scenes where intergang is essentially given at Teth Adam everything that they have and he's just killing everyone. He's just murdering everyone. Um, And ultimately he wipes out most if not all of Intergang and liberates the people of Kondok. And so we see these liberated people now cheering on this, again, person whom they believe to be the ancient historical champion of Kondok. All of this ass whooping that Teth Adam was doing, you know, got him on the radar of Amanda Waller and the Justice Society. And so Amanda Waller calls in the Justice Society to, quote, peacefully negotiate the terms of Teth Adam's existence. I'm just going to say that one more time. And I want you to pay special attention to the words that are used peacefully negotiate the terms of his existence so y'all out here telling people how and if they can exist now okay then cool so the justice society led by the hawkman and dr fate accompanied by cyclone and adam smasher they get into this professor xavier x-men looking jet if you will Um, And they fly to Kondok to do just that, to, quote, protect global stability and to confront Teth Adam. 
And so naturally, when they get there, they too get all the business. Like, Teth Adam has Superman level powers. Like, what? I don't know what y'all thought y'all was about to do. Y'all came to this man's home telling him he he's not supposed to be here and he needs to go into this secret underwater underground prison and just be there because he can't be anywhere else. Like, it's a whole mess. And so in the context of the confrontation between the Justice Society and Teth Adam, the crown of Sabak, which again is this evil crown that Adriana found in this cave and took home, it is basically taken back by the bad guys because there is another reveal that one of the members of Adriana's team, Ishmael, who she thought was a friend compatriot, is actually like the, the head of the intergang and he's the one that's looking for the crown. And so he's been like a double agent this whole time. And so in the context of Black Adam giving the Justice Society all the smoke, here comes Ishmael taking the crown back and also kidnapping Adriana's son, Amon. So all of these superpowered people, the Justice Society, Teth Adam, are forced and or choose, depending on which way you look at it, to work together so that they can get Adriana's son back from the bad guys. Adriana says, I don't care what y'all say. I'm trading this crown for my son's life because I don't give two dams about this. My son is all that matters, right? So that's a point of contention and it's just like a whole mess. And so ultimately the confrontation and the sort of exchange um, gets very tense to the point that in an attempt to save Adriana's son from being shot, Teth Adam uses his powers on full volume, so to speak, and unintentionally injures Adriana's son. And at this point, he is overcome with grief, and he essentially has this, um, I would call it like a tender moment with the Hawkman, where he actually reveals that Teth Adam is not the champion of conduct that everybody thinks he is, that it was actually his son, Harut. His son, Harut, was the one who led this whole revolt. His son, Harut, was the one who was given the powers by the wizards. But Harut chose to save his father, Teth Adam's life, by giving him his powers. And then ultimately, Harut lost his, his life because the king's assassins killed him. And so in this moment, when Teth Adam is telling the Hawkman this story, one of the greatest quotes, I think, in the film he identifies his powers as a curse that were born out of rage. These powers are a curse born out of rage. And at this point, Ted Adam decides, you know what? I shouldn't be here. And he agrees to go to this underwater secret prison, the Task Force X black site. And so he surrenders. He says the magic words Shazam. So he doesn't have his powers anymore. And he's in prison ultimately to live out the rest of his life submerged in water so he can't utter Shazam again. But lo and behold, people, Ishmael, who we thought was burnt up in this whole confrontation thing, is actually resurrected as the demon Sabak with these wild evil powers and he is coming to conduct and he's like, Got these, this skeleton army looking like a whole evil dead situation. Like, it was a mess. Okay, so he comes back as the demon Sabak with these powers. The Justice Society try their hardest to subdue him. 
knowing good and well, they do not have the juice. They do not have the juice. And so Dr. Fate does his Dr. Fate thing and he telepathically communicates with Teth Adam who escapes this underwater prison. How? I have no idea because he had no powers. But you know, he swam up from the bottom of the ocean and he gets his power back. He says, Shazam, comes back to Kondok, whoops this demon's ass and everything is so great. And at the end of the film, we see Teth Adam sitting on the throne of Kondok and ultimately he says, this is wrong. That's not where he belongs. Um, and Teth Adam is now Black Adam and is refers to himself as Kondok's protector. And so that is a summary of the two-hour film in about, I don't know how many minutes that took, but that's a summary of the film. As someone who works in diversity, equity, and inclusion, it is my job. It is my passion. It is my, you know, what I do as a, a scholar and a researcher, whatever. it, What I do is work to understand dynamics of power and privilege. And I knew very little about Black Adam as a character. Like, I think I may have known that he was an enslaved person that was then given these powers. I didn't know how they were going to navigate that on screen. And I was pleasantly surprised and overjoyed with how they chose to confront aspects of intergenerational trauma, aspects of power and morality. And so that's what I want to spend a few minutes talking about now. There were some very subtle, very deep messages, I think, inherent in this movie. And I want to start with talking about intergenerational trauma. And so by definition, intergenerational trauma is a collective or shared complex trauma that is inflicted on a group of people who have a common group identity or affiliation. So that can be members of a racial group, members of an ethnic group, members of a religious affiliation, what have you. So you think about for people who identify as Jewish, the Holocaust is an intergenerational trauma. For African-Americans, for black people who are descendants of enslaved Africans, enslavement, the slave trade is an intergenerational trauma. And what happens is over time, the effects biologically, psychologically, and socially of this trauma are experienced from generation to generation to generation. And I think that Black Adam, they did a beautiful job of really depicting and demonstrating intergenerational trauma and its effects. So for example, Teth Adam was an enslaved person. We see that in, in the flashback scenes. And on top of that, he witnessed his family being murdered. So Teth Adam was an enslaved person, which in itself is traumatic enough. On top of that, he saw his wife killed. His son comes to save him from being murdered. And then he sees his son killed. Trauma, trauma everywhere. Right. In addition, when Teth Adam is resurrected in modern day, Kondok is still not free. 
his people are still not liberated as they are living under this military occupation of intergang. And so Teth Adam is a person who in his previous life and in his previous ways of being was powerless, was mistreated, was traumatized. And when he gets these God level powers, he is going to ensure that that never happens to him again. He is going to ensure that that doesn't happen to his people again. One of my, like I said, this movie has some bangers in terms of the quotes, like some bangers. When I was watching it again to prepare for this conversation, I was just like typing stories, okay, in my phone in terms of things that I wanted to highlight. But one of the ones that I think is indicative, one of the quotes I think is indicative of of this concept that we're talking about now with regard to intergenerational trauma and how that can influence one's ways of being when he's first confronted by the Justice Society, Dr. Fate tells Teth Adam, you can kneel or die. And he very calmly, very smolderingly with his eyes, he had to smolder this whole film. That's not important. But he very calmly looks this man in his face and says, I was a slave before I died. And I was reborn a god. I kneel before no one. So he about to let you know. Been there, done that. Nah, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I would say as sort of like a, to speak to my own sort of meta experience or my phenomenological experience of watching this film as an African-American, as a descendant of enslaved Africans, There was a point in the movie where, you know, the flashback scenes where we see Teth Adam in his non-hero form, sort of in his original form. He's definitely like not as buff. Um, But there's a point where I realized that he had slashed like lashes on his back, like from a whip. And I had to settle myself, even talking about it now, like I have to settle myself because I feel that in my chest I feel it in my heart and it it definitely was heavy to it is heavy now in this moment to talk about it was heavy in the context of watching this film because as much as I love and adore me some Dwayne that was different that was very different and something again that I did not expect not only from a you know a superhero film but a DC film and also that I did not anticipate would affect me the way that it did and the way that it even is in this moment as I'm talking about it I think the Teth Adams story Black Adams story is one of resilience you know there's a quote where Adriana says it's his darkness that lets him do what heroes like you the justice society cannot And so I feel like there is something so beautiful about how we choose to relate to our trauma, our intergenerational trauma. And before anybody comes for me, I'm not saying that that is easy. 
I'm not saying that is easy to elect to relate to trauma in a way that is fosters resilience or in a way that fosters thriving. That is actually the opposite of easy. That is extremely difficult, particularly when you're still working every day to eradicate the inequities or the injustices that have been pervasive and and are sort of the reason that this trauma even exists in the first place. So I don't, nor will I ever say that that is easy. I do think that for me, again, there was something so beautiful about the way that this story was told. Um, And again, just so subtly, the way that Black Adam relates to his trauma Throughout the film, we sort of see that, you know, we see different aspects of that. We see him initially very ashamed at what he has become because this is not what his son wanted. And by the end, there's a sort of, you know, redemption, so to speak, where, you know, he understands that all that has come before him and all that he has been through, every step that he has taken up to this point has led him to be the hero and the person who defeated that demon in 0.5 seconds flat. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think he, the the creators found so many subtle ways to remind us that y'all not about to catch Teth Adam slipping. Y'all caught him slipping before. Y'all caught him slipping when y'all murdered his son. He's never going to do that again. This is the first time I've, I think I've seen a superhero film where He's literally like hovering everywhere. He's he's flying everywhere, even when everyone else is just standing. He's like hovering over the ground. And to me, that was such a beautiful, subtle detail. Like, again, no, y'all not, I'm, I stay ready. I stay ready. Because again, when you come from a place of powerlessness and you have the opportunity to be other, no, y'all not going to catch me slipping. And so in addition to intergenerational trauma, I want to take a moment to talk a little bit about dynamics of power and morality, because we saw that play out in the constant tension between Hawkman and Teth Adam in the movie. At numerous points in the context of the film, we see Hawkman engaged in what we call dichotomous thinking, sometimes called black and white thinking, which I will not call it that I will call it either or thinking Hawkman says there are only heroes and there are villains so he is very discreet there are good folks and there are bad folks I love the way that Adriana responded to this way of thinking and she says and I quote you like to split the world into good and bad but that's easy to do when you're the one drawing the line When I tell y'all I squealed in the theater, like my husband was like, excuse me, like you need to be quiet. I was like, bloop. When she said that, I said, come on, tell him again, say it again, say it again. People with power and privilege don't often understand that it is that power and that privilege that makes you think you have the right to do that. Makes you think that you can split the world into good and bad, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And I think that the way that that quote so effortlessly drew this connection between power and morality, you have the power. So you're here, you're, you're here to tell us what's right and what's wrong. You came all the way from the other side of the world to come to our country to tell us 
that this person who is native to this land that has risen up and that has basically in a day eliminated this threat to our liberation, you coming from all the way over there, the Western part of the world to tell us that that's not right, to tell us that he's not a, that he's a villain. There's another interaction between Hawkman and Adriana where Hawkman says, Teth Adam cannot be Kondok's champion because he's not a hero. And Adriana, who was just continuously gathering people up throughout this film. I mean, at every point, I was like, girl, get him. But she says to that, tell that to all the people he just liberated. And so what I think that this is such a beautiful example of is sort of what some folks deem to be the ultimate stage of moral development, which is that morality is relative. Morality is based on individual principles of conscience. There is not a golden scroll in the sky that tells us what's good and what's bad. That is relative. That is contextual. So again, here come the Justice Society saying Black Adam is is on that bull. He on these shenanigans. He's a he's not a hero. He's a villain because he's whatever killing people that don't deserve to be killed. Whereas if I'm in the position of a, as a citizen of conduct and he is killing a a people, a nation, a being that has served to subjugate and torture me, do you think I have the same ways of thinking? Do you think I interpret that in the same way? And I think that this is another opportunity to sort of uplift what Dr. Daryl Sue, who is a prominent scholar researcher in the space of multicultural counseling and therapy, he calls the invisible veil. People with power and privilege don't often realize that their realities, their ways of being are not the same as everybody else's. And so when you have power, your experience is considered normative. Your, your experience is considered normal. So of course, everyone else experiences that. Of course, everyone else thinks like me. This is referred to as the invisible veil because that is often, I don't want to call it unconscious, but it's outside awareness. People don't understand that they are promoting these ideas that everyone should think like you or everyone should have your experience or what have you. And again, I think that this film, I mean, they came with it. They came with it and really, I think, addressed those things head on. And brava to the creators, brava to the screenwriters, brava to everyone. And so that brings me to my favorite, the mm about that moment, subject being Black Adam. And so I want to start with something good, something that I appreciated. And as I just referenced, I can appreciate calling out colonizing ass behavior. And I feel like that is essentially from the beginning, from the Justice Society entering conduct with all of their shenanigans. We were calling it up. We were calling it up. Like, what are y'all doing? Like, what are y'all? Y'all not even supposed to be here. I feel like Marvel kind of did this uh it, with the context of the Zakovia Accords and you know the the tension around 
you know, y'all just coming everywhere, doing stuff willy-nilly. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like Marvel did that a little bit. I don't feel like it went far enough. And I feel like in this film, they went with it. You know what I'm saying? That was very evident and very clear. And the queen of calling in colonizing ass behavior is Adriana. And I love everything about her. And this is another one of those quotes that had me screaming in the theater, snapping, two snaps in a circle, all kind of stuff. And she says, and I quote, we, Kondok, have been living under military occupation for 27 years. We've never seen you before, Justice Society. You didn't come when Intergang invaded our country, but now we finally have our own hero and you decided to fly down here and save us. Thank you, but we're covered. Go and protect international stability somewhere else. Now, that wasn't a read. That was a read. And let me tell you something, I'm here for it. There's a point where Hawkman looks at Teth Adam and says, you're not supposed to be here. And Teth Adam looks back at him and says, it's you that is not supposed to be here. Again, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And my hope is that that significance is not lost on people. Like, yeah, it can be considered just, you know, Teth Adam being sassy with his big traps and his pecs and his biceps just being sassy out here. Yes, and I feel like there was such a profound message in that and in many of the interactions that they had. Something not so great, I think, about the film. Um, It was very interesting to me that the members of the Justice Society, and again, please don't come for me because I don't know if these are the members of the Justice Society from the comics and they were just following the story, what have you. I don't know. This is just me as a non-Black Adam comic book reader, movie watcher. This isn't me, um, but my opinion is, I thought it was interesting that the heroes that they show, that they chose to chronicle in, in the Justice Society are so similar to heroes that we've seen on screen in recent memory from Marvel, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Hawkman, immediately we think of the Falcon. Dr. Fate, immediately I thought of Dr. Strange. Adam Smasher, immediately I thought of Ant-Man. And Cyclone, immediately I thought of Storm, but also kind of Spider-Man because she's like young and super, super, super smart. Also like, you know, so I just thought it was interesting that the DCEU elected to do that because I feel like it just, it it lends itself to like one-to-one comparisons like easily, you know what I'm saying? Like, because they're so similar. So again, I don't know why they chose to do that. We all know if we have been reading the, you know, stories in recent memory, you know, recently that DCEU, they just need to get their whole lives together. They done wasted a whole Henry Cavill and Viola Davis in this movie. Spoiler alert, the post credit scene, that will never be. Y'all done now wasted Dwayne and Henry Cavill. Like, what is going on? So DCEU need to get their whole lives together because y'all gonna stop doing this to us. Um, and I don't really, I'm not just whatever. I don't know what's going on and no, we don't need a 10,000 Batman movie. Okay. Like there's, I'm sure 
that there is more substance there for you to work with. So get it together, get it together. And the last thing I'll say by way of what I appreciated about the movie, and again, it goes without saying, but Dwayne and his everything, I'm here for it. Uh, I do feel like I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed him in this. Uh, Because we know, and I love you, so if you're listening to this, Dwayne, I love you, and please don't come for me. But you know, he he has a thing that he does and a thing that he does well, and I think that it worked in this film. As I mentioned, his entrance, his first sort of scene on screen as Teth Adam, phenomenal. I think the soundtrack slapped. You know, in the I, I just think I, I think it was it was better than I had anticipated. And again, I think the Teth Adams sort of character arc, and I don't necessarily want to call it a redemption arc because I don't know. I think that his arc, there's something about it that again, it was like on a deeper level for me in terms of his evolution. At the end of the film, when Dr. Fate is sort of talking telepathically to Teth Adam to sort of get him to wake up and come save the day, he says, the world doesn't always need a white knight. Sometimes it needs something darker. You have the power to be the destroyer of this world, but you can also be its savior. Okay, first and foremost, I feel like that was the whole last monologue at the end of The Dark Knight, but you know, I don't know if it was just me, but I was like, I feel like I heard this speech before. Anyways, Nonetheless, I think the message of what he said empower the, the empowerment, right? You you look at Teth Adam and he is again second to maybe Superman. If that, who knows? I don't know. Somebody hit me up and let me know. But his powers are sort of like undeniable, unmatched. And in that moment, in what Dr. Fate is saying, is you still have the choice. You have a choice as to how you choose to relate to those things yes your powers as you mentioned were were are a curse that were born out of rage there's nothing you can do about how and where your powers came from there is everything that you can do in this moment about how you relate to that and how you choose to move forward and again i think that is just so beautiful again you think about trauma you think about decisions that we have made that we think like damn i wish i didn't do that There's nothing we can do to go back and fix that. There's nothing we can do. Where our power lies is in A, the way that we relate to that, and B, the way that we choose to pattern our steps moving forward. Adriana says to Teth Adam, you may not have been a hero, but that doesn't mean that you cannot be one now. Come on, come on. And the very last scene of the film before the post credits scene Black Adam sits on the throne and they ask him, how does it feel? And he says, wrong. And he destroys that throne. And to me, they very much could have let that story end with Teth Adam sitting on that throne and nobody would have batted an eye. Like he came, he done whooped everybody's ass. He's protecting these people. He has liberated these people. He could have very well have sat on that throne and that would have been an ending. The fact that he chose not to become the very thing that he was fighting against, powerful. Come on with the storytelling, okay? And let me just say, 
seeing Dwayne sit in that throne, though, like I need somebody to, to freeze frame that and give me that so I can put it on my wall so I can look at it every single day. And with that, thank you all so, so much for your time, for sharing in this space with me in this moment. I appreciate you all more than you know. I wish you and your families safety, joy, and health. Until next time, beautiful people.